Hey, murder lovers, this is Fatina, and you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Hey, everyone. So today I'm going to tell you a story that happened not too far from where I'm currently at, which is Portland, Oregon. It finally came to an end in Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, just so it gives you a better idea, Portland to Vancouver is about a 20, 30 minute drive. This is um, Vancouver, Washington, not to be confused with BC. I had heard of the story, tids and bits about it through my mother-in-law because we sometimes do discuss true crime cases, not only because of this podcast, but she has an interest in it as well, and also all things spooky. So she had mentioned this person before, which is Wesley Allen Dodd, and she told me that because of this case, she had kids around that time, both my brother-in-laws and my wife, and... It was because of this that she was so afraid to let her kids go out into public restrooms or go alone to the park, even when they're a little bit older. And this was because of this case, this very specific case, because it happened so near to them. So I decided today that I was going to do a little bit more research on it. I promised that I would do this and the credit of wanting to go and look at it a little bit further goes to my mother-in-law. So this is the case of Wesley Allen Dodd. He has been dubbed the Vancouver child killer. And to understand what happened with this case, this is one that a lot of this person's history, upbringing, childhood, is very important only because at least gives you a little bit of insight into what molded this person and at least what happened to him during his childhood and what made him do what he did later on in life. So Wesley was one of three kids. His parents were Jim and Carol Dodd. He was born in Toppenish, Washington on July 3rd, 1961. When he was 11 months old, his younger brother was born And one of the earliest things that he can remember was that his mom would bathe both him and his brother together and they would just put them in the bathtub together. I think this was done more for efficiency. I don't think this is out of the norm for parents to do or that that age is abnormal to have siblings in a bathtub together. They would continue to bathe together, though, until he was seven years old. So that would have made his younger brother about six years old. And they slept in the same bed till they were 10 years old. Now, Wesley does deny that there was ever any sexual contact between him and his brother. When Wesley was three years old, his younger sister was born. And the only memory that he has of her as a child uh, is when he remembers seeing his mom breastfeeding his sister. When he was about four years old, he had gone to the hospital. They were removing his tonsils. 
And while his mom was getting him ready for the surgery, this is one of the first moments that he remembers being embarrassed. He did wet the bed while at the hospital while his mom was getting him ready. Now, I only mention that because we know now that bedwetting is one of the triads of being a serial killer. So he did not have any history that he mentioned himself or in any other source about either killing any animals or setting anything on fire. But we know that bedwetting is one of those three pegs that would be um, telltale of a serial killer. Throughout everything that I'm going to tell you for his childhood, you'll notice that it's very honest, very matter of fact, and we know the details only because Wesley is very upfront and honest, not only about the actions that happened later on in life, in his life, that were criminal, but everything that was formative to him, all his years, all his childhood and younger adulthood, he has been very upfront, very honest about what happened. He's never he doesn't seem to be hiding anything, which is very odd because compared to what we see in other serial killers or people that have gone through, that have gotten caught and they've been interviewed and they have, you know, even while they're in jail or prison, have gotten subsequent interviews, they seem to be conservative about the details, almost as a... They, they seem to be hiding something, the real why behind something on why they did what they did. But Wesley was the complete opposite. He was very honest, very detailed about why he did what he did, what led up to that for him, and his entire childhood, which is very informative to everyone that studied him now, because... It helps you understand what he went through and not saying that it was any type of trauma, but it helps you understand how he escalated from his childhood. Um, And there wasn't any time a, a one specific event that ever triggered anything, but this is it helps you understand his mind throughout his entire life. So I'll continue when he was eight years old. He went over to his cousin's house, as kids do, and while he was spending the night, both him and his cousin touched each other's private parts. Um, Now, I don't know if this was them just exploring, um, or if this was anything done with malice, Um, But that is just noted that that's something that happened when he was as early as eight years old. When he was nine years old, he remembers that his mom made him change in front of a couple of aunts, made him change clothes, so made him undress and put on a new pair of pants. He remembers being embarrassed by this situation because of the comments that were being made. Now, we don't know the exact comments that were being made either about him or to him. I don't imagine that it's anything worse than like, oh, look how cute he is or anything like that. But it's obviously something that he remembers, right? He remembers being in front of women, being told to undress, and being uncomfortable. 
When he was 10 years old, he remembers an encounter that he had with a six-year-old girl. He said that they were hanging out. They had agreed to show each other their private parts. So the little girl pulled up her skirt, pulled down her panties, and showed him what a girl's parts look like. And then when it was his turn to show her, she rejected him and told him that he didn't need to do that because she had seen it before. So at that point, that was a moment of rejection for Wesley. And this is when he told police later on in life that he thinks this is the moment when he realized he probably preferred boys over girls. At around the age of 11 in 1972 is when he started looking for pictures of nude beaches he started realizing in his own head that his interests were different from other boys and girls his age. They weren't interest, He was not interested in playing outside or playing with any sports or anything. So he started looking for pictures of nude beaches because he was more interested in looking at the naked body, looking at naked people in search of some type of arousal. When he was about 12 years old in 1973, at this point, he knew that his interest was leaned more towards the boys. And when he was in school during one of the gym classes, he asked one of the boys to take a shower with him. The boy rejected him. And not only did he reject them, but then he went, the boy that he had asked, went and told other kids at school that Wesley had proposed to him to take a shower with him, so that only made him even more of an outcast. His dad later on went to say that Wesley did stand out as a loner and that he would be someone what he would have considered back in his school days as a sissy. While in school, one of his friends had explained to him how their father had recently used a catheter uh, because of a medical necessity. And so Wesley was interested in that and wanted to know more about it. So he started experimenting with his own body and he would put straight pins into his penis and also use the filler ink rods from pens into his penis. Wesley said that he would trick his victims by saying that he could do tricks kind of like a sword solver to try and trick them to go into the house with them so that he could molest them. At the young age of 13, so starting in May of 1975, Wesley started flashing, exposing himself to younger children. He said that this happened because he had started puberty. Again, he was 13 and he had not been educated about sex. What he would do is that he would stand at his window that was facing the street. He would stand there naked and when any child passed by, he would expose himself as they were on their way to school. He knew that this would probably get him in trouble, so he in his own words, took the show on the road. He rode around the neighborhood and he would flash young boys. He chose to flash boys because 
in his own words, boys didn't report him as often as girls did. During a two-month period, he had exposed himself to over 40 different kids. Wesley stated that his unhappiness stemmed from his parents' constant bickering and the lack of emotional support in the home. He said that during his childhood, he did not hear the words, I love you, very much, and neither did he say that to his parents many times. So those words of affirmation or love were not something that was said a lot at home. And he believes that this is something that was uh, missing, something crucial that was missing from his home life. He did not go unnoticed after flashing these many kids. There was a report made to the police. The police did come to his house to address him exposing himself to other kids. The police did not bring any charges to him. He was 14 years old at this time. Now, from what we know, his parents might have had a conversation with him, but just the police coming over to his house and bringing up the issue made him stop doing it from his own home. He, Because of the fear that he had of getting caught of flashing other kids, what he began doing was just masturbating on a daily basis and just in general experimenting with his genitals. What he would do is that he would put his watch band around his genitals, squeezing his testicles through the cord, and then he would attach weights to the cord to see how much weight his genitals could hold. Now, apparently his father... Jim was aware of Wesley's sexual exploration and some of the things that he did through some of the conversations that he had with him, but he never wanted to talk about it further to try to even help Wesley try to understand what's happening. And so he avoided the subject completely both talking with Wesley, and he also never reported anything to the authorities. So a, a lot happens while he's 14. At the same time, at, this, at the same age, he experimented with his sister's friend, who was 10. He was 14, she was 10. And the, the notes say he, he experimented sexually. I don't know exactly what that means and what happened in that situation but I can tell you nothing was ever reported at the same age of 14 Wesley snuck into his sister's room while she was sleeping and placed her hand on his penis he then pulled down her pants and was going to try and attempt to rape her but she woke up and pushed him away Nothing was ever brought up about that event. So his sister never told his parents. They never told her parents. And nothing was ever brought up to authorities. I think with her being three years younger, she would have been 11 at this time. She was probably a scared little 11-year-old that didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say, because this was her own brother who had done this to her in the middle of the night. 
He also remembers playing tug-of-war with an eight-year-old boy who was his cousin. And what he meant by tug-of-war is that they tied a string to each other's penises and played tug-of-war. Afterwards, Wesley sodomized his eight-year-old cousin. He was 14 at this point. He also molested his eight-year-old girl cousin once in the closet and then her six-year-old brother later on the same day. So both of his cousins. On Christmas of 1975, he received a bicycle for Christmas. And (laughs) instead of riding around the neighborhood trying to look for friends or things to do, activities, what he would do is that he would ride around his bike He would ride on his bike around the neighborhood, flashing other kids. So now he had a means to flash someone, expose himself, and get out of the scene very, very quickly because now he had wheels. So he got his bike for Christmas, and by January of the next year, he had at least flashed himself to 10 other kids. In January of 1976, again, I'm still at age 14 because this guy, a lot happened during the age of 14. But what Wesley started doing, he had a dog. I don't know what type of dog. It doesn't really matter. It's all disgusting. But what he was doing with his dog was he was letting his dog lick his behind. And he did this because he found out he liked it. In order to get his dog to lick his behind and his penis was that he would rub feces on it. I don't know if if that was the dog's or his. Either way, it makes me gag. After the dog bit him once, Wesley decided to wipe the feces on his stomach, his genitals, and his thighs and then would masturbate before showering. In May of 1976, his parents divorced. Soon after, it was his birthday, and now he's 15 years old in August of 1976. Wesley decided that he was kind of tired of just flashing and exposing himself to other kids, and and he wanted physical contact now. In order to get physical contact... He went to a neighboring elementary school. He went to Sacagawea Elementary School and found three boys and three girls, ranging from the ages of 7 to 10 years old, where what he did, he invited them to play what he called a guessing game. He asked them all to close their eyes, put out their hands, And what he would do is he would put his penis in their hands and ask them, what do you think you're holding right now? He later played that game with three more children. He was arrested in March of 1977 for exposing himself to two girls ages 8 and 10, but he was not prosecuted. Instead, what the police did was recommended counseling for him. He never went to counseling consistently. 
It was always sporadic. Later on, Wesley went on to say that about around this age, he was growing fearless of the law because he knew that he had exposed himself to so many kids. He had molested so many kids and so much happened before the law caught up to him. And even when it did catch up to him, all they did was recommended counseling. So they never did any type of reprimanding that made him fearful of getting caught. There was never any, even with the counseling, he realized that he just had to try and go a couple of times. It was never anything that he had to do consistently. So he was never afraid of getting caught. He knew that he could do it for so long to so many people and that even if something did happen, it wouldn't be that bad. This is his thought at this age, at 15. When he was 16, he was asked to fill in for a neighbor's babysitter. And at that point, he molested his neighbor's one-year-old, four-year-old, and three-year-old daughter as they slept. He would masturbate almost at any opportunity when he was alone. What he would do while he was in high school is that he would go to the auditorium where he was empty and he would just go sit in there and masturbate. He was never caught for doing this, but we only know this because he's telling us it happened. When he was 16, he went on his first date with a girl and he later stated that this was one of the worst evenings of his life. He denies that there was any sexual contact with the girl. I don't know if there was rejection who asked who out in this situation but I think in general he was probably uncomfortable and maybe just didn't have any sparks with this girl so he put it off as one of the worst nights of his life which is shitty knowing now what we know about what he did so by the age of his of 16 his parents divorced when he was 14 so about two years later his dad and his mom respectively started dating again. His dad did have a new girlfriend and his dad's new girlfriend had a daughter from a previous marriage. She was three years old at this time. And this is when, again, he's 16, started molesting his three-year-old stepsister. At the age of 17, in this February of 1979, um, I don't know the details of this, but we know that he just started running around the block naked. Now, I don't know if that was in broad daylight, in the evenings, at nighttime. I don't know, but he said that he would just go out and run around the block naked. Th yeah, that's it. That's all we know about that. But um, no one was ever... Uh, no one ever reported him for that either. I don't know how many times he did it, but again, no one ever reported it. Along with the three-year-old stepsister that he had from his dad's girlfriend, there was also a 10-year-old stepbrother. He did the same thing to him. He started molesting him when he was 10 years old and Wesley was 17 years old. At age 18, Wesley started working at a Christian music camp where he was there as a counselor and 
the ages ranged from, I believe, 7 to 12. And the kids that he was counseling was a group of 9 to 10. He convinced them, coerced them. I'm not sure what the right word is here, but he made them play strip poker. And this was with seven boys that were all ages 9 to 10. While he was at this camp, he had his first kiss with the girl. He only kissed her once, and he avoided her for the rest of the summer because he felt that she was too experienced for him. I don't know how old she was. I can only imagine and hope that she was a counselor along with him and that they were around the same age. So then, Wesley went out to a wooded area. And there he found a young boy that was fishing. He asked the boy if he wanted to see something, quote, really neat. Once they were alone, he demanded the boy take off his clothes. The only reason that he did not molest a boy that day was because they were interrupted by another group of kids before he could do anything. From there, Wesley found an empty house that was near the Sacagawea Elementary School. It was on a block where most of the houses were empty. This is where he would take small boys, again, ages 9 through 10, to play strip poker with him. At this, at this age of 18, this is when Wesley finally had the realization to himself that his interest was really in younger boys, ages 9 to 10. And this was because... There was a girl who was 17, so just one year younger than him, that asked him out, and he declined that. He realized that his interest was just in younger boys. In the summer of 1980, in July, he went back to the Christian music camp, and then again, he took this as another opportunity to prey on younger children. He made three boys shower with him in his cabin. When he was 19... So this is now October of uh, 1980. He attempted to kidnap two girls ages 11 and 7, but they reported him to the police. He admitted, admitted to wanting to molest them and having a plan to take them to an isolated area by the river, but he was not incarcerated. There was no charges brought on him. They, again, just recommended counseling for him. In September of 1981, he was 20 years old at this time, he decided to enlist to the U.S. Navy. He said, his own words, quote, If I hadn't joined the Navy then, I may have been killing within a year. Because of his high entry test scores, he was put on submarine duty. He went, on, he went on to basic training in San Diego, California, and graduated top 10% of his class. While he was stationed at the submarine base in Bangor, Washington, he preyed on children that were living on base. While he was stationed in Bangor, Wesley would take trips to Seattle, where he would molest children in a bathroom at a movie theater. He would, on purpose look for times where family movies were playing so he would go there at about the same time because he knew that there would be kids around the age that he preferred. 
age, he started realizing that kids were getting a little smarter against, hey, can you help me find my puppy? Can you help me find something? Becoming more aware of those usual tipping those usual things that we tell kids to watch out for stranger danger. So what he was doing is that he was he was offering money to kids in exchange of them taking down their pants. He also discovered the arcades was a, that this was a great place to find children who were not only the ages that he preferred, but also kids that would want money because they would want to continue playing. So he would give children quarters in exchange for taking down their pants in the bathroom. He was arrested in May of 1982 for offering to pay a couple of boys $50 each to go into a motel and play strip poker with him. Wesley confessed to the police that he planned to molest the children, but his charges were dropped for unknown reasons. I don't know how many times and see that's the issue with charges never being brought on him there's no really there's not really a record of previous arrests or previous jail time because he was not getting reprimanded for anything Um, there was no actual cases against them every time that something new happened This is huge when it comes to the police dropping the ball. I mean, this is a clear example of law enforcement dropping the ball time and time after time. When he was 21, December 30th, 1982, he was arrested and discharged from the Navy for attempting indecent liberties on a boy. He served 17, 17 days in jail and was ordered to get counseling. Sorry, I am just, I'm pissed at this point knowing that this is what happened. I even saw some documentaries that interviewed the judges in these situations, in these cases, and why they did nothing or what they did was very little And they really had no explanation other than he presented himself well while in court. Um, His honesty went a long way with these judges, but the honesty that he was giving was the perverted truth of what he wanted to do to these kids from molesting them, exposing himself, and they were so lenient when handing down these, these sentences to him. 17 days in jail. And again, we don't know why he was um, released after such little time, but they just let him go on and, and just get counseling. At the age of 22, so about five months after he had served these measly 17 days in jail, he was arrested for molesting a 10-year-old boy. This was despite the fact that his initial sentence would have put him in jail. He was given a suspended one-year sentence. And this was only provided that he would attend counseling again. After this, he moved to Idaho with his dad. And he was convicted 
for molesting a 13-year-old boy, but he only served four months out of his 10-year sentence. It pains me to read this out loud, but he served so little time knowing that he had a record of doing this. I'm just so mad at this point. I'm so upset that this kept happening. At the age of 24, he took a co-worker's seven-year-old son on a fishing trip. I don't know who would let their kid go on a fishing trip alone with an adult that is... And maybe he didn't know the history of him or his cases, but I wouldn't let my kid go unless it was a trusted family member. And I know that's not to say that maybe, you know, this could happen within family, but I personally wouldn't let that happen unless it was my brother, an uncle, uh, a grandfather, my father. Um, But I don't know that I would let my seven-year-old son go on a fishing trip with another grown adult by themselves. He... sexually abused the seven-year-old during this fishing trip. He then went on to go to work at a vacuum cleaner company where he molested another boy. I don't know if this was a co-worker's son or a client's son. I'm not sure of those details. But then again, there is no record of anything being reported by either this kid at the vacuum cleaner company or that co-worker's son prior to that, during that fishing trip. In August of 1985, 24 years old at this time, he molested his neighbor's two-year-old and four-year-old boys on countless occasions. But when the mother discovered that this was happening, she did not press charges. She said that she did not want to traumatize the boys any further. Now, I'm going to pause there because I don't know how I feel about that. I am not a mother. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I, I would have, I would have, if I didn't report it is because I would have, Someone would have needed to call 911 on me. I don't know that that's the, the right course of action. I can't say that there's a right or wrong, but man, something needs to happen with this guy. And if, if I found out he was molesting two of my kids that young, two and four, I don't know that the kids would have remembered at that point what would have happened if my mom, you know, if the mom goes and reports it and there's a case and whatnot, keep the kids out of the courtroom, you know. I know that the kids probably would have had to been interrogated and and whatnot um, to bring on the charges, but there's got to be some kind of justice that needs to be, you know, brought on this guy. And I don't know that not reporting it is the right answer on this. Okay, this is, um, I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse, guys. So, I mean, it, just just brace yourself. So, he's 25 at this, at this point in August of 1986. He raped his co-worker's 18-month-old son, a one-and-a-half-year-old 
He's 25. In the same month, August of 1986, the same month that he was started raping this baby, he had his first sexual intercourse experience with his co-worker, who was the mother of the 18-month-old kid. And he said that the only way that he could orgasm was by picturing her son, the 18-month-old baby. At this point, Wesley moved to Seattle, Washington. He stated, quote, Now when I got to Seattle, I had learned I was less likely to be reported for molestation than for an attempt. I decided that from now on, I would be a little more forceful. I would no longer accept no as an answer to my request. He began choosing the most vulnerable children, including a roommate's two-year-old son who was partially deaf and could not talk. When the boy resisted, Wesley tied up his hands with a bathrobe strap. Wesley began to fantasize about killing his victims at this point. He said, The more I thought about it, the more exciting the idea of murder sounded. I planned many ways to kill a boy. Then I started thinking of torture, castration, and even cannibalism. When he was 26, he chose the first child that he would murder. His first victim was to be an eight-year-old boy he had met while working as a security guard for a construction site. While trying to trick the child to go home with him, the child stated that he was going to go get some toys at his house and ended up telling his mom about Wesley. The mom then called the police. Wesley was arrested but his sentence would be reduced to a gross misdemeanor, and he spent 118 days in jail with one year probation. I'm sick. I'm just sick. <laughs> Wesley got back together with an old girlfriend who had brought her with her a baby that she claimed was his. After five days together in a motel, she left him. This was in 1988. In September of 1988, he moved down to Vancouver, Washington, so about two, two and a half hours south of Seattle. At this point, he was working as a shipping clerk at Pack Paper, where he told his co-workers that he was divorced and his child recently died of crib death. I don't know why he came up with this story. I don't know if that was just a sympathy card that he was trying to play with co-workers or, that, I mean, obviously it's just something that he had made up to fill in the blanks of his past uh, or maybe he knew that people wouldn't ask much about his past if it was something as sensitive as an infant's death. At this point, he discovered... David Douglas Park, which was a mile away from his new apartment, and he decided that this was, quote, a good place for rape, murder, and kidnap, a good hunting ground. And on Labor Day weekend, on September 2nd, 1989, 
he noticed three boys at the park and they sparked his violent fantasies. He wrote in his diary, If I can get it home, I'll have more time for various types of rape rather than just one quickie before murder. We know that most sociopaths, what they do is that they tend to depersonalize their targets, their victims, by calling them its. Um, we can see in that sentence um, that he, you know, what he logged in his diary, if I can get it home. Um, they weren't children. They weren't humans to him. At that point, on September 4th, 1989, he packed a fish fillet knife and he taped it to his ankle. And he also tied up some shoestrings that he would use to tie up his victims with. He waited at the park, but at that on that day, he did not see any children without parents, so he decided to return home until the evening. He returned to the park later on that day, and he started walking up a path. After pacing back and forth, Wesley encountered two young boys, Billy Near, who was 10, and Cole Near, who was also 10. They were brothers, and Wesley decided to request them to get off of their bicycles and told them, quote, I want you to come with me. They did what he said only because he was holding them at knife point. Wesley stabbed Billy in the stomach, and then when Cole started to run away, he finally caught up to him, and he stabbed him as well. After this, he decided to just walk away as if nothing had happened. He left them both laying in the bushes in the park. As he was walking away, he recounts that he threw a baseball to some, uh, a stray baseball to some people that were playing catch or playing baseball, something like that. And he even said hello to someone else on the path as if nothing had happened. He realized that he had some blood on his hands, so he kept one of his hands in his jacket as to not show that he had blood on him. And then as he was walking off that path, he realized someone was coming down screaming for help because he had found one of the boys that had been stabbed. And um, he quickly, he hurried home. Uh, He also recalled that he, when he got home that night, he started masturbating to the thought of what he had done to those kids. The police got there right before Billy passed away, but he wasn't alive long enough to tell them what had happened. After the murders of Billy and Cole, Wesley now realized that rape and murder was not enough. He wanted to perform experimental surgeries on his victims. Wesley planned out his next attack. He decided that Saturday afternoons after work was the best time to find a boy at the park. So, on October 29th, 1989, Wesley is 28 years old at this time. He kidnapped Lee Isley, who was four years old at the time, from the playground of Richmond School. 
Lee's father had let him and his older brother go to the park and play alone. Wesley took Lee back to his apartment in Vancouver, Washington. Wesley strangled Lee to death while he was sleeping. He hung Lee in a tiny closet by a rope and proceeded to take pictures of the boy while he was undressed. He took these pictures for a couple of reasons, he said. He said that he took pictures not only to memorialize what he had done, because this is the first one that he had brought to his home and killed. He wanted to remember it and use these pictures for his own reasons later. But he said that if he were successful to bring other boys to his house, he would use these pictures to show other kids what could happen to them if they didn't follow his request. Wesley then discarded Lee in a bush near Vancouver Lake. He burned the child's clothing, all except his Ghostbusters underwear, which he kept in the suitcase under his bed. In the morning of November 1st, 1989, a pheasant hunter discovered Lee's body at Vancouver Lake. At this point, they had no leads. But at this point, a psychological profile of the killer was formed by Dr. Ronald Turco. He said that it would be a 25 to 35-year-old, and he would have been kicked out of the military if he did serve. He would be a loner and probably kept photos of his victim, a diary of his offenses, including clipped articles and child pornography, the killer probably chose boys because he saw girls as defective, and although his profile accurately described Wesley, it wasn't enough to rustle up a definitive suspect. So this profile was spot on, we know now, was spot on to Wesley. But again, I think the lack of convictions and cases, all the cases that could have been brought on him earlier in life, kind of kept him out of the radar for this case on Lee. He was 28 years old. So again, the profile was spot on 25 to 35. Composite sketches were released of what they thought the possible suspect would look like based on possible witness information of people that they thought they saw Lee with someone leading up to his death. There were no solid leads based on the sketches that were formed. And the detectives went as far as attending little Lee's funeral, hoping that the killer would show up to the service. But Wesley stayed away. He did not go near the crime scene again or to the service for little Lee. He actually sat in his room. He wrote in his diary about what had happened. And he started plans and started building what he called a torture rack. He started using ropes and boards. And he was intending this to be the torture rack for his next victims. Wesley decided his best chance now to find a child that would would be at the movie theater. He checked the listings for family features, so he went back to his old ways of looking for family movies, 
And he said after a few attempts, there was success. So he went to the movie theater in November of 1989 in Vancouver, Washington. And this is where he encountered William Graves. He tried luring William into the movie theater's restroom. I don't know exactly what led up to this. I don't know if there was a witness or a bystander or what have you call in authorities to the movie theater about what he had witnessed of him trying to lure in William Graves into the restroom, but Wesley was captured that day. Now, after being questioned, he eventually confessed to the murders of Billy and Cole Near and also Lee Isley's murder. They found the most damning piece of evidence, which was Lee Isley's underwear in a briefcase under his bed. They then found the pictures of Lee Isley in his photo album. This quickly went to trial, and Wesley, against his attorney's wishes, pleaded guilty on all counts. He read a statement to the judge that indicted him on all charges and admitted to all his crimes and premeditation on all his murders. His defense did not call for any witnesses and they did not present any evidence for him. His attorney did try to argue that obviously because of his plea of guilty was not a sane person. On July 15, 1990, the jury decided to give Wesley the death penalty. After he was sentenced, look at this, Wesley asked to be hung because he believed it was the most appropriate execution since he stated, quote, that's the way Lee Isley died. So this sick fuck asked the judge to be hung because that's the way that he had killed Lee Isley. I don't know why or how the judge said, yeah, that's cool. That seems nice. Let's do that. I understand he was sentenced to death, but I find it odd that the judge would allow this because it, to me, it almost seems like it was his last little bit of getting off by getting killed the same way he killed Lee. Regardless, the judge agreed and set the execution date for January 5th, 1993. So Wesley Allen Dodd was executed by hanging. He was the first one to die in the gallows in Washington since 1965. So there was about 30 years since the last time that they had hung anyone in Washington for the death penalty. The last one since, too. So they... I, I, I still can't wrap my mind around it. I don't know how they overlook this. That the judge said, yeah, that seems like a good way to do it. Um... Again, he was sentenced death penalty, but there's other ways to do it. There is, we've talked about this before, like the chair that is probably a little outdated. It's got its own risks, um, might be a little inhumane, but there's also 
they could do a needle in his arm. Um, I think that seems the most humane way to do it, but I, it doesn't sit right with me that they allowed him to die by his own request, the same way that he killed his last victim. I think he got off on that in a sick, sick fucking way. I think he got off on that. So all in all, we know that he murdered three kids. We're all within a couple of months of each other. Overall, it's suspected that he molested and, and that's including exposing himself and everything to over 170 different children. Um, clearly antisocial sociopath. Psychologists have described him as a sadistic murderer, as a mixed lust killer. We don't know his IQ. Um, it is That is something that I tried to find to see what his IQ was at. The only thing that I could find about his education was that he neither, he neither did great nor terrible at school and academics. Uh, he did fail a gym class, but we do know based on his naval record that he was decently smart. He was on the, he was in the top 10% of his class. And I can't imagine that someone who tests as well as he did would have a low IQ. It's interesting to note is whether or not there was any injuries to him, either as a kid or a young adult. The only thing that I could find was that he, as a child, we don't know what age, he did fall off a fence once and he was knocked unconscious. We don't know to what extent he was either treated medically. No personality changes were noted because of that fall or that injury. He did claim that he was hit as a child by his mother. I don't know if that was anything excessive or if that was something like spanking, but it is something that he noted um, that his mother did physically hit him when he was a child. Um, he denies completely ever being sexually abused by either parents or family member, neighbor, etc., or even strangers. He did say that his dad psychologically abused him um, by what he did and didn't do while he was in school, uh, by not living up to his dad's expectations and his dad letting him know this. He said that a lot of his unhappiness, unhappiness stemmed from his parents fighting and their lack of emotional support. There's no reports that he ever cannibalized anyone. We know that he thought about it, that he said that he, that is something maybe if he hadn't been caught, I'm sure he probably would have gone to that, um, that he would have probably tried to do that at some point with someone. But at the point where he did get caught, he did get convicted. That luckily had not happened yet. Something that really is just odd about this guy. Well, first and foremost, you know, his honesty is bizarre. It comes from left field. We really don't know why he decided to be so honest. And I think it was, it was on his terms, right? He wanted to share 
not only what he'd done, but why, what happened to him, what he had done, how he was planning on doing it, and in his own way, I think he, he liked that attention because people like to interview him and like to get those details. Something else that he did while he was in prison that I found extremely odd was that he wrote a pamphlet, a flyer, for kids and how to watch out for stranger danger. Unbelievable. He wrote this to warn kids, warn parents on how to teach their kids on being aware of strangers and how not to be victims of of people just like him. So he's the epitome of stranger danger. It is wild. And I can't believe I hadn't covered him before. I honestly did not know much about him until my mother-in-law brought it up one day. I don't remember exactly where brought up the conversation, but I'm glad she brought it up. The research was fascinating. And his diary has a key on it uh, for what he, when he saw a child, when he would go to the park and scope out potential victims, he would write what he thought he could do to the kids. If I can find that, I'll probably make that a Patreon exclusive because I feel like the details are going to be a lot more gruesome. Thanks for listening to this story with me. This is definitely a cautionary tale of stranger danger. Teach your kids on how not to, uh, not to fall victim uh, of this. I know it's hard. I don't have children myself, but it's uh, something that my parents... I know my dad was the one that had those conversations with me. An adult's not going to need a kid's help. If I can't find my car, can't find my dog, can't find my keys, can't find, you know, my kid, I'm not going to ask a kid to help me. I think a piece of good advice to maybe teach your kids uh, one of the kids in this case obviously did the right thing, went home, told his mom. So if a, if an adult is asking a kid for help, go get another adult. That's the advice that a kid should get. Never, um, and, and that's not to say distrust all adults, but obviously there's people in this world that have ill intentions towards kids, so... I will, I'll leave you with that. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time. Bye.